So our reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to find that. I think it may come up behind me as well, um, if you don't want to find it. Ephesians chapter 2 in your Bible. And we're going to read verses 1 to 10. We're only looking at the first five verses today. But I'm going to read the first ten verses and then we're going to think about those first five verses together. Okay, great, there we go. So Paul says to the Ephesians, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you want to leave your Bibles open, we'll be looking at those verses together. As I said, we're starting this new series in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. And the reason really we're doing this is because we wanted to think outwardly. Um, we've been doing a lot of inward thinking, haven't we? Over the last couple of months, we've been thinking about each other and what we do. We're thinking about what we've been through, what we've learned, um, and different things, where we go from here. Um, and that's been a good thing to do because we've only really just started meeting together again after that, that long period uh, of everything just being on YouTube or Zoom. So we wanted to take a bit of time to think about uh, how we encourage each other and how we help each other and how we uh, move forward with each other. But also we wanted an opportunity to think about how we, we move outwards as well. Because we can't just think about ourselves all the time, can we? <laughs> we need to also be thinking about how we're engaging with others, how we're moving out with the gospel. And so we thought Ephesians 2 was a good chapter just to think about and slow down in and look at so we can do that. When I think of this passage, it's clear, gives us a clear understanding of the world we live in it gives us a clear understanding that the world we live in needs salvation. But then it tells us what that means of salvation is. And it tells us what the benefit of salvation is. In short, we really do need to be reaching out with the gospel, don't we? Yeah, we, I mean, we know that, don't we? Other people reach out to us, and we need to be reaching out to other people. So to help us to do that, we need to understand the reasons why people aren't becoming Christians. Reasons why people out there are struggling with things and don't know. And this passage is very helpful in that regard. Paul is writing to people and he's telling them what they used to be like. Do you see that? As for you, first verses, you were. He's telling them what they used to be like. As for you, you were. Which is helpful for us because we can look at what we used to be like if we're Christians, what we were like before, but also what other people are like who aren't Christians. It's an understanding for us, isn't it? This is the state of humanity outside of Christ. That's what Paul's saying. 
these three verses really are God's assessment of the world and the challenges that humanity faces. These are massive verses, these first three verses, I mean all of these five verses. But these first three are very, very weighty. And, and we need to understand them. So, the first thing that Paul says in verse 1 is this. Hopefully, we'll have some slides coming up behind me so you can see it. Yeah, that's the first thing he says. You were dead. You were dead. That's a pretty stark statement, isn't it? And when you first look at it, you think, well, what does he mean? <laughs> what does he mean? We were dead. Because he's not talking about before we were born. Before we were born, we weren't anything. Dead or alive, we just didn't exist, did we? So he's not talking about before we were born. He's saying that we were dead, and now we are alive. Sorry, I've, missed that. I've, mis I've misread that. He's not saying that we were dead, and now that we're alive physically. What he's saying is that we are spiritually dead. Because he qualifies it, doesn't he? If you look at the next verses. He says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So what he's saying is that before we become Christians, before we understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us, we are spiritually dead. There is no spiritual life within us. We're not resting. We're not stunned. We're not tired. We're not asleep. We're dead. Dead in transgressions and sins. Now, that's a hard thing to help people to understand, isn't it? It's, it's a very hard thing to help people to understand. And yet, it is the state of the non-Christian. And the thing is, you know, Paul's not being negative. He's not being pessimistic. He's not had a bad day and looking out and saying, well, they're all dead. That's not what's going on. He's being realistic. He's being truthful. You know, when he looks around and he sees the mess the world is in, he knows why. He's helping us to see that true spiritual life is a gift. A gift that's given by God. It's something we need. And in our own lives, and in our own circumstances, we cannot earn it, and we do not deserve it. It's not something that we can get enough points for. It doesn't work that way. Now, I don't know if this is new to you or not. If you, if you know the Bible quite well, it won't be new to you. But for some of you, you might be thinking, I've never really seen it like this before. And, and it's hard for us sometimes to understand this. And then it's hard for the world, as I said, to understand it. People don't think they're dead spiritually, do they? In fact, spirituality is one of the things that's on the rise at the minute. One of the things that people are looking into and are exploring and are trying to experience. They, they use this word, don't they? Spirituality comes across in lots of ways. It's inner peace in a mad, bad, busy world. Some will tell you that they've found the answer. Some will tell you, that, well, there is no real one answer for anybody. It's just different for you and different in your circumstances and wherever you are. But the point is that you can sort of withdraw from the world and, and feel this sense of peace at times. That's, the, that's what we think spirituality is. But God says we're spiritually dead. We can't really experience spirituality. And that's the thing that's really hard to grasp. Monty Python helped us out here, I think. Don't you remember these words that came out, I don't know how many years ago now. I like to complain about this parrot. 
I purchased not half an hour ago from this very boutique. What's wrong with it, sir? I'll tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's dead. No, it's not dead. It's just resting. No, it's dead. No, no, it's just resting. Now, look here, lad. I know when a thing is dead, and this parrot is dead. Now, the thing goes on. You may have seen the sketch. It's a brilliant illustration of this particular passage in the Bible. I don't think they realized what they were doing, Monty Python, all those years ago. But you've got one guy trying to convince another one that the parrot is dead. We know it's dead. We can see it's dead. It's just laid there, not doing anything. He bangs it about and he moves it and nothing happens. In fact, the funny bit is when he moves the cage and the bloke says, look, he moved. It's alive. It's dead. And you've got one guy trying to convince the other one who's just sold it and so he don't want to give his money back that it's not dead. He's like, oh no, it's not dead. And this is the challenge we face, isn't it? As Christians, trying to help people to see something that they don't want to see. We don't want to admit that we're spiritually dead. We don't. We think that there might be something in us. It's something that's down to us and we can do it ourselves. But the reality is, we're dead. Spiritually. We face the same problem. And Paul says, what we need is not spirituality, but something that just helps touch us inside. What we need is true spiritual life. True spiritual life. We need to be made alive. And he's going to go on and he's going to tell us how that happens. But before he does that, he wants to help us understand the problem in its bigger context. There are three influences on us when it comes to spiritual deadness. Three influences that we can't escape. Three things that that make us dead, if you like, that keep us in that dead state. There's two external factors and there's one internal one. And they're here. Hopefully the next slide will be able to to see them. Three things, there you go, that contribute towards spiritual death. The world, the devil, and the flesh. It's that unholy triad. That enemy of humanity. What we need saving from. You know, these three things are the things that will lead us away from God and from doing his will. The first is the world. Now, if we look outwardly, especially nowadays, we're confronted, aren't we, with selfish propaganda. It's all about you, the world tells us. You're worth it. Do what feels right. If it feels so right, how could it be so wrong? I mean, this is naturally the thing that people live their lives by. These are the the mantras of our culture, aren't they? I I was looking at uh, names. It came up yesterday, I don't know if you saw this. The 100 worst names. (laughs) Someone's put it on a website that people call their children. One of them, L'Oreal, for a girl. I guess because she's worth it. L'Oreal. I mean, it's a product, but that's what they've called it. Another one, I, apostrophe, M, unique. I'm unique. That's their name. That's not just, you know, I, I don't want to offend anybody. If anyone's got grandkids that have called these names, I, I, you know, my, my favourite was Boom Quiffer. I had to look at what it meant. <laughs> it's incredible. It's, it's funny, isn't it? That somebody's called their son Boom Quiffer, and it means the big guy of the house. Imagine that, Boom Quiffer. I thought that was pretty good, but I don't know as I call my son it. But you see what's happening in our culture? It's about this individuality. It's about you. It's about 
you going for something, you, you being who you are and you grabbing what you can and you making the most of it. That's what's going on, expressive individuality. It's the undercurrent of social media, most TV shows and films, especially reality TV. It's expressive individuality and it's everywhere. That's the world in which we live. That's the air that we breathe. That's what happens when we go about our daily lives, day in and day out. At work, in families, whatever. And what we've missed is this. Biblically, the world, biblically, the Bible tells us that the world as an entity, as, as a force, as humanity, is against God. That's what it tells us. The world as an entity is against God. It has its own agenda. It has, it has its own ideas of how to survive and thrive and what it needs to do. And it's godless. And its message changes throughout the ages. So, you know, at the minute, it's, it's quite easy to see it, I think. Maybe, you know, a few years ago, not so much, I don't know. But it, it changes throughout the ages, doesn't it? Different cultures will have a different basis. will have a different um, expression of it. But, but the foundation is the same. And we need to understand this because often we think that things out there are just neutral. They're not good or bad. But they're not neutral. They're against God. They're not just what they are. The Bible helps us to see that the world, meaning humanity, in general, is against God. Now, you might think that's a bit harsh. And you might be sat there thinking, oh, I'm, a little, you know, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with this, if I'm honest. Because I'm not sure that that's what I see around about me. You know, people don't wake up in the morning and their only desire is to make sure that they ignore God and put other people off him. No, they don't do that. The problem is, they don't even give him a thought. It's not that they're actively against God. They're just passively against him. They don't think about him. He doesn't register in their life at all. As far as they're concerned, they say, well, I'm in charge of my life. It's up to me what I do. And, you know, you could hear that nowadays. And nobody thinks there's anything really wrong with that. But actually, that's what the Bible calls sin. <laughs> the Bible says that is the actual problem of the world. That is the whole problem. Sin. All living our lives doing what we want to do with no reference to God whatsoever. I love the way that the kids' work has been putting it over the last few years. Hopefully there'll be a slide that brings this up. Just this definition of sin. Shove off God, I'm in charge, not you. Shove off God, I'm in charge, not you. And again, it's not a conscious rejection of God. It's not that we wake up in the morning thinking, right, how can I make God angry? How can I disobey God? No, of course not. People aren't thinking like that. I mean, maybe one or two. But generally, that's not what's going on. It's a subconscious one. God isn't even in their thinking. It's just not there. It's the same in Paul's day. In fact, it's always been the same. If you think about it, back in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, with Eve, it was exactly the same. You see, Eve didn't consciously think, oh, shove off God, I'm in charge, I'm going to eat some of this fruit. Genesis 3.6 tells us, when she saw the fruit was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. What was Eve's fault? She wasn't even thinking about God. You know, I think a, a change has taken place in our general consciousness, in our culture over the last one or two hundred years. And it's this, for most people. I mean, there are some exceptions to the rule. But rather than understanding that God is the judge, 
which people used to understand and grasp that God was where he was and he was the judge of humanity and um, you know if we did things wrong then we would face his wrath and punishment uh, and if we did things right then we wouldn't and ultimately we realized we we you know always the same when you became a Christian 2,000 years that realization that we can't do what's needed we can't do what's right but God is a judge and he's a good judge and he's a merciful judge and he's a gracious judge and if we say that we're sorry and we throw ourselves upon his mercy he has provided a solution which is the Lord Jesus Christ we think that God was the judge now what's happened and this is the biggest mistake I think of the culture in which we live it's taken God off the throne and it's put us there and I don't mean to rule, I don't mean, I mean we do do that because we think that we're in charge, but I mean now we're the people who are looking at God saying you need to prove to me that you exist. That happens, doesn't it? In the world in which we live. You talk to somebody, say why are you not a Christian? Well, there's not enough proof. They think they're in the judge's seat. It is frightening. I mean if there's no God, it's not frightening at all. It doesn't matter. If there is a God, and he's the true judge. And we've taken him out of his seat and put ourselves there. That's frightening. That's the biggest mistake I think we make as a culture. He has to prove himself to me. He has to help me understand and see why I should follow him. If I'm going to give him my life, then you know, he better have done something for me. And I want to be... We're not the judge. The Bible clearly helps us to see that we're in the dock we're the people who will be judged. And that's what we need to understand and grasp for ourselves. We are the accused. We're in a mess. We've done things wrong. And we need someone who will stand up for us and who will fight for us. The world is not neutral. Most people just don't think about God. They're against him in the way that they live their lives. That's the first thing. That's the longest. The second one is we see the devil is at work. You see that in this passage as well? It's called the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. It was said of the devil that his greatest trick was to persuade people of the world that he doesn't exist. He seems to be doing quite a good job of that at the minute, doesn't he? And yet, he's there. There is a spiritual element. Ephesians talks about this spiritual element. Like in the garden. Things weren't natural, uh, sorry, things weren't neutral for Eve, were they? You know, I wonder how many times she looked at the tree of good and evil and never even thought about going anywhere near it. Just going about a daily chore, tasks, whatever it was, just this, that and the other, enjoying life, things are great. Oh, there's that tree, we're not allowed to go near. Well, well let's not worry about that. There's lots of others. Let's go to this one, let's go to that one. And then one day, the devil says, and everything changes. It's not neutral. There is evil in the world that will tempt us to do the things that God doesn't want us to do. Temptation came and she saw it differently. Before we know it, she's taking some fruit from the tree. It's the second thing we need to understand. The world is not neutral and the devil is not neutral. Of course he isn't. And then thirdly, Paul says... We have something internally that's a problem as well. Verse 3. He says, we gratify the cravings of our sinful nature, of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. So as well as the two external factors, the evil that's out there in the world and the world itself, we've got something internal. 
We want to do things that we know are wrong for a whole host of reasons. Maybe pride or envy or greed or lust or sloth, just to name a few. Lots of reasons that, that, that obscure our view and our understanding. So it means that we want to do things that are wrong. Now, you know, we can blame others. We can blame other things. We can blame tiredness or stress or busyness or circumstances. But Paul says, actually, there's something within us that craves the desires of the flesh. It's our fault. Not just something out there. There are things out there that will tempt us and, you know, are against God generally. But there's also something inside of us. We have a nature that has, as it says here, transgressed God's law. That has sinned against God. End of verse 3. Which means that we are, by nature, deserving of wrath. We are, by nature, deserving of wrath. This is what God says the problem is in the world. It's a threefold problem. The world is not neutral, it is against God. The devil is not neutral, he is against God. The flesh is not neutral, it is against God. Meaning, as we stand naturally, we are under his wrath. These are three of the hardest hitting verses in the whole of the scriptures, aren't they? I mean, you're probably all sat there now thoroughly fed up, thinking, why on earth did I get up this morning and come to this building? You may be watching online thinking, is this bloke trying to get me to listen to more or what? But let's be honest, this is God's assessment of the world. It's not mine. This is God's assessment of the world. This is what God says. We're spiritually dead. We are spiritually bankrupt. We have no spiritual life because we live in a world that is against God. We have an enemy that is against God and the thing that drives us and inside us is also against God. Three of the hardest verses in the scriptures. And yet, the next two words are more powerful than all these three verses put together. They're obscured a little bit in the version we're using, the latest NIV. But if you look at the Greek, the next two words are but God. But God. Not and God, or so God, or therefore God, because that would be leading down the right path, wouldn't it? The similar sort of path. We're all in a mess. We're objects under, the, under God's wrath. Therefore, he's going to punish us. So we don't deserve anything. And, naturally, we're going to end up in hell. That's what we may expect next, but that's not what we get next. Because Paul, having helped them to understand the state that they were in, now helps them to understand the state that they are in. And this is the hope that we have for the world. If we don't grasp these first three verses, these next verses don't mean anything. They really don't. We need to understand the state of the world, that people are spiritually dead because of the world, the flesh and the devil, that they're under the wrath of God, but God has done something. This is the good news of the gospel. Buts change things, don't they? They change things. I'm sure you've all had conversations where somebody dropped a butt in. 
I mean, let's give you an example. Thankfully, this doesn't happen very often, but hi, Pastor, great service this morning. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed it, but everything stops. I'm like, hold on a minute. That, was, that, that sounded quite good. I like that first bit. Now we've got a but. What's it going to be now? You know, the reason you've just said all of that is because you want to say this bit. You have that in conversations, somebody's going along and they sort of, you know, drag you in and you sort of, oh, great, you know, they're trying to encourage you now, but, and you think, oh, no, here we go. Buts change things, don't they? We had a series a few years ago, the great buts of the Bible, looking at those different buts. What does he see this side? But God's done this. This has happened. Buts change things. And this is one of the best buts in the Bible, if not the best. After three hard-hitting verses, we find that there is hope. The human condition, as sinful and as hard as it is, is not without a solution. Paul is writing to people who know that solution. You were dead. You were. You're not anymore. He's writing to people who know the solution. Listen to how he describes it. He's a God who is rich in mercy. He has a great love for us. Remember the definition of mercy. To not give someone what they deserve. God sees our position and he's merciful. Wow, I mean, thank God he is. He's merciful. We deserve wrath. But God is merciful. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He loves us. So what does he do instead? Verse 5. He makes us alive with Christ even when we are dead in our transgressions and sins. He's given a very honest assessment of what we're like. Why? Because he's the one that's powerful enough and big enough to bring spiritual life. He gives us the very thing that we need. He makes us alive to God. This is what fuels our evangelism. This is what fuels our outreach, our mission. We need to grasp these things. We need to see Ephesians 2 and understand it. We're in a situation that we cannot get ourselves out of. In our natural state, we are under the wrath of God. But this God is merciful. And he loves us. And he's provided a solution. He's provided an answer. He's provided a saviour, a way of giving us what we lack. We are made alive in Christ even when we're dead. (laughs) He brings life out of death, doesn't he? That's what he does. He brings life out of death. He did it with Jesus, didn't he? The disciples had given up. They, they were done for. The hope of the world was lying in a tomb. And yet on the third day, God raised him to life. He did it with Jesus. And you know what? He does it for anybody who knows that Jesus died and rose for them. That's who he does it for. To sum all of this up in verse 5. Look at verse 5. This is the, where we're trying to get to this morning. <laughs> Alive by grace. That's what the, the sermon's called, if you've got the program card. To sum it all up, he says, it's by grace you have been saved. What's the definition of grace? Getting what you don't 
deserve. We don't get what we do deserve, punishment and the wrath, we get mercy. We do get what we don't deserve, spiritual life, true spiritual life in Christ. We deserve wrath, verse 3. We're given life, verse 5. Grace upon grace upon grace. Have you, have you understood that? Have you grasped that in your life? That you are without hope in the world. That God is on the judgment seat, not you. But he is a gracious, merciful, loving judge. He has looked at your situation and he's found an answer. And he's sent his son into the world. Who is that answer? You know, you look around, the, the longer I live, which is, you know, I'm just a bit older than I was a minute ago. The longer I live, the more you see people's lives are in a mess. <laughs> you know, when I was a teenager, I wandered around and just thought everyone was all right. But they're not. I'm not saying everybody, I'm not saying everybody you meet is in a mess, but a lot of people. You start to scratch beneath the surface. You think of people at work, people that you know, people in your family. People's lives are in a mess. You see it more and more. Maybe as a result of COVID, at the minute it feels like it's biting even more. Ross was sharing last week about some of the things that are happening with the end of furlough and, and different things that are meaning that we see it more and more. People have issues and problems and struggles and challenges and the, the Bible says it's because they're spiritually dead. They're spiritually dead. We have external and internal forces working against us that put us under the wrath of God. The world, the flesh, and the devil. But God loves us and has been merciful to us and has been gracious towards us. And if we trust him, if we turn to him, he will give us life. We're made alive by grace. Nothing of ourselves. The way into the kingdom of God is to recognize we're not good enough. That we can't do it by ourselves. It's not our own effort. It can't be. Never has been, never will be. It's grace. It's what God has done for us. Are you trusting completely in the blood of Jesus Christ for your salvation? Do you know that he died for you and he had to die for you because there was no other way? And do you know that there's people out there that need to know about this? Need to grasp this and understand it. And it may take time. We may have to get alongside them. Christianity Explored, I mean, we do that. You know, it runs for 10 weeks, but slowly, week on week, we just try and help people to see and grasp and understand why they need Jesus. You know, we still have a world that rejects this assessment of it they don't like it, it's too negative we don't like it, they, you know, they've pushed it away we don't even talk about it now never gets on any chat show or news you know there are people, good Christian leaders out there that would love to be in, on programs and be debating things and they just don't invite them they try and get on and they try and get in and they're, not, they're just not welcome because they're not saying the mantra of the culture at the moment 
As far as most people are concerned, it belongs to a different age and it belongs to a different time. This, it's up to us. It's not going to come out through the TV screens. It's up to us to be able to share it with people and help them to understand and see it. We have a world that rejects it. But we can't let that put us off. We have a devil that's working against it. But do you know what? The good news about this spiritual life, about this new life in Christ, is that we no longer have to give in to the desires of the sinful nature. God says that he gives us a new heart and puts a new spirit within us. So now we can be the people that he wants us to be. Now look, we're not going to be perfect and we're going to get it wrong and we, you know, we're still going to fall for some of those old tricks and different things and we're still being tempted. But we can now be the people that God wants us to be. He fills us with his spirit when we trust him, when we look to him. He gives us spiritual life. We have a hope of righteousness in a dark world. And as we were thinking about last week, we need to shine. We need to shine out to this world with what we know and take it to people that we know. Grace has given us what we don't deserve. We're saved by God's grace. Are you? Are you? Are you saved by grace? Or are you relying on something else? Do you trust him? If so, how are you trying to find ways of telling others about him?